Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Skullcast, the premier podcast about Berserk from the community at SkullKnight.net. I am your eternal host, Walter, and joining me today for episode 132 are Azil. Hi! Griffith. Yo! Grail. Hello! And Gobolatula. Hello. Got all these G characters in our series. It's very much, it's very me, own brand for us. Mm. Too many G's on the dance floor. Too many G's, that's right. Let's say we're a bunch of G's. Uh, was that a Flight of the Concords callback I just heard? What? Yes. Oh, man. That, that's great. <laughs> There's been a lot of chatter. You know what? The only news we have is that the next episode of Berserk is going to be out next month. I believe the exact date is August. I'm just going to spitball it. August 12th? 12th. Yeah, that's the first issue of August. So we're back to monthly, and honestly, fine by me, because I think we've had, this will be the sixth podcast in less than a month for us. (laughs) So that's the only real piece of news. I will say, despite my many reservations about this episode, I feel like as someone who runs a Berserk fan site, uh, it's been a really fun week. A lot of talk, both in the chat and in the forum. A lot of people, you know, mixing it up more than normal. I would say, I think the happenings in this episode bled that, obviously, but I don't know. I think that's a good sign, regardless of all the other reservations, and I have plenty. I think the fact that we're still able to enthusiastically say things about the series is honestly surprising. I didn't really expect to be doing my own speculation still at this level, uh, but here we are. So for whatever reason, <laughs> this is this is uh, a, a factor here is working, even if it's not 100%. So. Hmm. That was fun. No, I've been uh, having a great time. We're still buying the volumes, guys. Yeah. Uh, in the wake of 365, 366, I don't know. Personally, I wasn't that invested in it. I mean, I maybe made one or two posts in the thread, which was, you know, something. And now I'm all up on it and happy to chat about it through the evening hours uh, now. So something happened. I don't yeah. know. Maybe that's just my perception, but. Well, I mean, we, we are getting uh, developments in the story that yep. were a long time coming. So, obviously, I mean, pretty much what's happening in this episode, it's on par, I would say, with uh, uh, Ganishka versus Femto and the advent of uh, Fantasia. So, it's like one of the few very, very big events in the series. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, you got maybe gods uh, facing the god hand. At the end of the Black Souls Monarch, then you got the Eclipse, then you got uh, Incarnation, then you got Fantasia, then you got this. So it, it might very well be that the next time we get an event of this magnitude is uh, the ending of the series, pretty much. So again, I mean, I feel like it's uh, justified that we're uh, enthusiastic and curious about what's coming. Mm-hmm. And for some of us, we're, we're, I guess we're distracted talking about the studio's uh, execution of the episode, whereas under di- different circumstances, I think we'd be raving about it. But it's a, it's a weird sort of situation also, which adds to the discussion. You're right. Yeah. It's artificially lifted by the uh, issues. It's like 50-50 now, where I feel like like for 65 and 66, it was like 100% about the execution. So that just shows yeah. how far we've come. It's like that we're actually kind of into both. <laughs> well, there's also more stuff happening. Uh, the previous two episodes were very much like 365 is almost a retelling of what happens in the last pages of 364. Yeah. Uh, and then 366 was very, 
you know, a bit confusing and not very clear what's going on. I mean, there was some discussion, but yeah, I agree that it was a, a lot less, how to say, fruitful. Before we go further, let me do the summary. Zod stands before Guts and Griffith. Guts has to deflect an attack, and we then transition to elsewhere on the island, where Isidro, Isma, and Serpico and Danon are headed to bed for the night. As they leave, Danon falls over, saying that everything has been broken, and something will start overflowing from the bottom of the earth. Meanwhile, Griffith has reached Casca, and he extends his hands to her just as Guts breaks free from Zod and brings the Dragon Slayer down. The sword stops near Griffith's shoulder, and, we, and then Guts looks down and sees that Griffith is holding Casca. We then see the petals from the cherry tree blow away, leaving it barren. Then the ground starts to break apart around Griffith. The scene ends with Griffith holding the unconscious Casca as mysterious, ooze-like things with faces rise from the ground around them. That's the episode. It's kind of bottom-heavy, I would say, in terms of like discussion. Uh, a lot of what happens in the first half is fairly predictable. I was a little more positive overall in terms of like where my feelings were because after 365, 366, honestly, like in retrospect, it was effectively, I effectively felt crushed by what we were given because I just felt nothing. Uh, seeing the whole thing, I, 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 had, I had a feeling something was happening inside me and that was surprising to me. And I think it is the, it's the dramatic implications of what's happening in the final parts of this episode. It's only through the big movements in this new continuations construction that we can actually see Miura's hand at work. Whereas everything else, the small moments are kind of obscured by the execution of Studio Gaga and Mori. But the big things you have to assume are Miura's hand at work, even though he's no longer with us. And that alone is pretty cool and gave me a much different sense than I had in the past batch of episodes. So that's my start for that. Well, you sounded like uh, Griffith there on the Hill of Swords, you know, saying, you know, I thought my blood was frozen. And then, you know, yeah. you felt <laughs> you felt a stirring inside, you know, right. <laughs> finally. so There's a baby in me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, other impressions. This is for anybody to talk about how, how they felt about this episode. I think it helped that there were uh, more characters on the stage than previously and also it was more than just guts kind of fruitlessly swinging at griffith though there was a bit of that too but mm -hmm. there was a lot more going on than just that let's do it again in a more dramatic fashion <laughs> see if it works this time it might be that what was depicted here sort of big picture a big picture event moving forward is something that this project is better suited to than like an intimate meeting between guts and griffith yeah what they can portray and what they can't they can they can do the big picture stuff and the big you know broad strokes and bullet points uh that's a that's probably easier to bring to life i agree with that uh like it's impeded generally by the fact they can't uh have like internal thoughts for the characters so when you get guts versus griffiths uh, it's just the action and because it's not depicted especially uh, compellingly and because we don't get any thoughts or anything uh, worthwhile on the, that department, I mean, I feel like it can't be as impactful as it would have been with Mira. Whereas when you see the ground open up, uh, something coming out, uh, the tree, like the petals being blown off, that stuff that even just visually tells you something's happening and regardless of the execution, you can be like, okay, now something's going on, it's serious, feels like the big gears are, are turning. So just because of that, I feel like it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's more, let's say, engaging mm -hmm. as a reader. That being said, I mean, if we're just talking general impressions, 
I do think the execution leaves to be desired in, you know, in the same ways as the previous two episodes. It's not horrible or anything like that. But uh, the sequence of events is, is pretty confusing. A lot of people were confused about what's going on, why whole guts manages to escape that like that so easily. Uh, there's a bunch of things like that that are not very clear. So I feel like it's something we, we have to get used to. It's probably not going to change much. Uh, it's, it just goes with the project and the limitations it, it has. So yeah, personally, I'm just... Not really trying to ignore that. I wouldn't say trying to ignore it, but at least trying not to mind it and uh, just to focus on the big, again, the big events, the big stuff, what feels like it carries Mirror's intent. Mm -hmm. Or to kind of accept that we were like, we were kind of in the manga penthouse before with Mira, and now it's like, okay, we're starting over. You know, we're, <laughs> this is a new thing. In the basement. <laughs> that's Well, that's the thing. It's like, I don't think it's the basement because I think it still looks like really good. Like it probably, I mean, I don't read a lot of uh, other manga, but I mean, compared to a lot of, you know, series and comics and things, this still looks fantastic. It's just, I mean, I compared it the other day to, you know, like we were like listening to Mozart or something. And now it's someone just trying to sound those same individual notes, but not being able to put them together in the same way so it's it's jarring in that mm. way even though you mm. know i don't know that the action and everything is like bad or if it's just like well mirror would have been way way better like you know like the moment guts gets past zod that would have been a big moment because obviously he couldn't get past him on the hill of swords and it was kind of a you know not only a non-moment but like it wasn't even clear how it happened you just have zod a panel of him looking like what you know it's like <laughs> you know, well, what are you doing, Zod? Anyway, uh, someone else uh, has In impressions. I'm sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into specifics for sure. Yeah. It feels like I've gone from reading Berserk to reading Claymore immediately <laughs> afterwards. I don't know what that means. Walk me through that. Uh, Claymore is another manga that has, um, well. Big swords. Big swords. And it was inspired by Berserk. Okay. He does that great. <laughs> it's not that great. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I... No, it's it's no berserk. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. It's fun, but it's not a masterpiece. Yeah. And you can say, I mean, it's not just the artwork. I feel like all those people are like, oh, man, the artwork. But there's, there's two things. And some panels are looking fine. Uh, can't deny that. Some backgrounds are good. In some other places, they're, they're cutting corners, but... Again, I don't, that personally is not something I feel like focusing on or anything like that. That being said, uh, where I feel like it's really inferior to even series that you guys might not consider to be great is really in the paneling and, and just storytelling and sequencing of, of what's going on. Uh, you know, the way the scenes for each other, the panels for each other. That's where I keep getting caught up, too, because this episode was hard for me to understand. Yeah. Even compared to, you know, a Claymore or a Goblin Slayer or, yeah. you know, any, any Berserk follow-along type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to be naming whatever Shonen series or anything, but there's, it's, that's part of what being a, a mangaka is and an, an actual guy who's telling an actual story. And yeah. the way it's being done with Mori basically not doing the storyboarding and instead just telling them what he knows and he lets Studio Gaga put it in pictures. I feel like that's, that's what results in this uh, very disjointed 
seeing where it doesn't flow very well and it's confusing at times. To me, there's two effects. The first one is that Mori probably doesn't have a lot of information to go on. And, and the guys, either the staff, what Mira told them is probably like they have an idea. Like, for example, he might say, well, uh, Guts attacks Griffiths relentlessly, but he can't do anything to him. That's it. Mm-hmm. He he swings, but he can hit him. And then he finally hits him in the back, but he does no damage. So you get that. But it's not enough to know, like, how does it not do damage? Does it go through him? Does it get warped? Does it get dodged? Does it get deflected? When he yeah. hits him and nothing happens, is it because he stops it with his hand, like Femto did with Skullnax attack on top of Ganeshka? Is it because of something else? Is it a force field? Is it just... And so you end up with this... And yeah, it's not very clear. Same thing for Zod. It's like, okay, there's Zod there. Do they fight? What, what's happening? What what Guts is thinking? How does Guts manage to get to Griffiths? If they don't know, they can't depict it properly. And so that might be why we just see it being done like that, where it doesn't really make sense compared to previous encounters. At the same time, it might also just be a matter of these guys, I mean, we've said it before, not so long ago, they were just drawing the grass in the background. So like it's a huge step up for them to be doing this but it still doesn't mean they're like veteran uh, mangaka and to get to that level I mean it, it just they didn't have like five years to practice their craft making like a proto series and then moving on to making a masterpiece they had to start recreating a masterpiece from a very consequential moment yes and I mean the what, what as described it sounds like a very stilted creative process where you've got one person telling other people what to do and then they have to do it and it's like it's not like one guy one you know it's not a it's certainly not the auteur theory at work you know so even no, right. even compared to like I'm thinking of something like let's like fa- everyone know something everyone knows it's famous like Dragon Ball it's very cartoony it's obviously like shonen but it conveys a lot of interesting and out there wild ideas in its action you know even though it's very over the top and zany but it has all this interesting stuff Berserk also has its own really cool over the top interesting action ideas you know throughout the series and we haven't really gotten anything like that it's been more by the numbers, you know, like Guts is trying to hit Griffith, you know, and so yeah, we'll see if it ever gets beyond that or if it ever conveys that kind of feeling, you know, like Guts versus Zod should be like, whoa, like the last Guts versus Zod fight, people like were losing their minds, like they couldn't follow it, yeah. not because it, it doesn't make sense, but because, oh my God, like so much is going on, like it was like Mira was attempting something there, he was taking a big swing with the way he showed the action in that. Yeah. That's probably something that's still going to be lost. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what we were saying about here we see a huge event on the island. Uh, the tree is being damaged or weakened. The island is uh, breaking apart, or at least a part of it is opening up and something's coming out. Regardless of the depiction, that's a big moment. It's something, and of course, I mean, Casca is being abducted, or at least looks like it. That, those are huge things in and of themselves, but when it comes to the actual action, what's depicted, uh, character reactions, personally, at least, it just leaves me cold. Like, what Gus is doing, what he's emoting, I'm just like, oh, okay, he's just gritting his teeth and looking vaguely angry. 
but uh, and sweating a lot. He doesn't seem upset. He seems both insanely upset either all the time or not upset enough. Like when Zod shows up, he's like, you right. know, oh, yeah. oh, great. You know, it's like. Like he sees Zod and he's like, oh, it's this asshole again. <laughs> oh, I yeah. hate this guy. <laughs> you know, it's, this should be like the end of your fucking world, dude. I mean, you, this is this is it. Yeah. <laughs> but. The big problem with Guts is that he's given nothing nothing to do in this episode. Not really. I mean, he's not the star of the show here, but so he's just dodging, running, missing his attack. He's, a, he's pure but action. There's also nothing, nothing, although we can never know his thoughts because they're not going in that direction, not even anything that's bubbling to the surface. Like, I'll give you an example, just a thought, was during the eclipse when Guts is fighting the apostles trying to get to Casca, right? His emotions are, are escalating throughout that process, and it leads to desperation—a big moment, right? When he realizes Casca's right there, right? Well, Griffith's holding Casca, so shouldn't we be getting a, a fraction of that? A little yeah. bit, yeah. Whereas it looks like when you see his reaction, it's not even clear if he's reacting to seeing Griffith hold Casca or if he's reacting to the fact his sword did no damage, yeah, or the fact. So it, it's just, and people were confused, you know, several people about whether. Like the hit didn't actually do anything or whether Gus actually held it back. I, I do think he actually hits him at full power and it just doesn't do any damage. But like both are arguable and it's a testament to the fact it's, it's pretty confusing and not clear actually what's going on. I feel like in this scene, like what they were told, the instruction is just, well, there should be a panel of Griffiths holding Casca. And with a dragon slayer trying to hit them and it's not hitting them or something like that. Again, the way it's depicted, eh, yeah. Uh, even, even simple actions like Griffith scooping Casca up there aren't really depicted clearly. Like, we get yeah. a really cool, I think the, sh- the last page is really cool, the shot of him holding Casca. But we don't really get him approaching her, reaching around her, lifting her up, standing up with her. We don't get like the gravitas of that moment or even like the mechanics of it. It's sort of almost like a flip book. Like I know this is a comic, you know, so it's like you're not going to get like yeah. uh, frame by frame anyway. But those... But we're not getting Shirky or Farnese's uh, reactions either. So it's all very <laughs> Yeah, I agree. We're not getting their reactions or even their like logistical position in all this. And then also we don't really see, okay, what... Any hint of, like, Guts, Griffiths, Casca's, if anything, emotion as this is happening. You know, no shots of their face. Even if Casca's mm. just clearly looking exhausted and unconscious. You know, something that would make us and feel for her in that moment. Yeah. And the weird part of this is this is basically what Maury explained would be the case. But now that we're seeing it in action, we're seeing kind of the limitations of this style of storytelling. So it's not like... It's not like I even feel like I can complain about this, even though I am complaining. I, I feel like it's like, okay, well, this is what they told us to expect. So I guess this but is it. Is it a case of more is less? Because like, as is said, if, if it had been like a detailed description, we would have filled in these blanks in our head instead of having them given to us without, you know, with those things decidedly absent, like, you know, Gut's thoughts and, you know, his emotions. And it seems like he doesn't, it reads like he, he doesn't have them. It's the same problem as I expressed last episode, which is they're stuck between wanting to do this as a direct episodic continuation while also working within the confines of not being able to fill in the blanks. The fact that Guts, quote unquote, gets past Zod, it's clearly an omission. It's not like a, there was a big sequence and they fought. No, it's more like, we're just not going to depict anything like that. We just know that Guts gets past him and it feels bad. Yeah. Yeah, of course it does. Because they intended to not 
focus on that for the purposes of their limitations. And it just, it's not great, not great, but that's the box they're working in, unfortunately. Yeah. And what, where I said about uh, Farnese and Shiroke is also something a lot of people reacted to and felt like it was uh, a bit of a character assassination because Farnese has been protective of Casca for so long. And in this case, it's just, she's holding her and then she's not holding her and Griffith's holding her instead. And people are like, does it mean she just like... Abandoned her? <laughs> yeah. And, and in this case, less would actually be more. Like if they just did five pages, it's just... We see Gus versus thing. We see Griffiths walking toward her. At the end, we see Griffiths holding her. And yeah, maybe just uh, that page of the tree losing the blossoms. And yeah, I mean, that's it. And then you can fill in the blanks and be like, well, whatever Griffiths did, he managed to push Farnes and Shiruke back. Maybe he lo- looked at them and like, I don't know, pushed them with some magic power or whatever the fuck you want to imagine. But the thing is, you can make it up in your head. Whereas here, because they tried to, to bridge these events... It ends up looking weird and stupid. Yep. I saw such varying feedback about the Casca, sorry, the Farnese and Shirke thing. And like, who cares? They just moved over a space. Like, well, I think, it, I do think it matters though, like blocking or the position of a character because you have Farnese and Shirke who have an attachment to Casca. They wouldn't just back away. Right. They wouldn't just run away and leave their friend. So it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's the kind of riddle or puzzle that Miura would have had to solve himself. Uh, and he, of course, would have had the artistic freedom to t- use any solution. Yeah, but they don't. And yeah, it could have been a look Griffith gave them sure. and they're like suddenly repelled. That would be them filling in the blanks that something Mira might not have written himself. So they just chose not to do it. Therefore, we have this very strange, they just T-pose to the left a little bit and then they go back to their normal animation. Mm. The rules yeah. will not allow well, it. And I also yeah. think there's yeah. a there's another side effect here in that I, I read 363 through 367 last night, and wow, what a contrast, <laughs> you know? So, uh, like, the density and everything after 364, you know, the drop-off. And I don't know if Mira would have done all these events in one episode, but I think it definitely would have been two at the most. Oh, yeah. And he, and he probably could have done it in one, and that would solve some problems. For instance, you know, the dialogue density would automatically be better even, you know, plus everything he would have added. But also just things like Dannon's reaction not being like three mm-hmm. episodes late, you know. It was like it would have just been like she was feeling what was happening, but you're only – maybe you're only seeing it a little later than you saw everyone else's reaction, you know, because it's in the same episode, that sort of thing. So that that's another sort of weird factor is that it takes them – longer to depict things they have to use more pages and more panels to get things across and it's still not getting there really it's still not getting the job done so we'll see mm-hmm. you know how that goes yeah. yeah i've always thought that 360 the way 364 ends is guts facing griffith and it takes a full episode before he brings his sword down that doesn't feel right at all yeah i imagine that would have happened in the first four pages you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just in the same way that it feels very sequential, like linear in the way they do it, where they showed Dylan's reaction at that time because they needed to show like the tree losing the blossoms. And so they just made it happen then without really any consequence to the fact it doesn't make sense that it, it like she didn't detect it where when, you know, Puck and every random guy did. And it's... Uh, I think it's going to be like that for the rest of it, much like Zod arrives through the tree. I mean, that has been a bit talking point or so. We don't know how he managed to do it because Sonia's not there. Uh, it's just, it, it's convenient. It's needed that he's there for whatever reason. So he's, 
And that's it. Much like we don't see the brands reacting in this episode. And well, it's just, it's not needed. It's not convenient. It's not something we know what Mira would have done. So we're just not going to depict it. And doesn't matter if it's, uh, if it doesn't make sense, doesn't matter. <laughs> it kind of matters though, because even though Casca is unconscious, we know what the proximity does to them. I agree. She should be jolted awake from the pain, I would expect, yeah, right? Her shirt should be like uh, bloody, gushing. like soaked yeah. with blood. And yeah. we actually see her brain gushing. That even breaks her necklace. But right. there's no blood on her shirt here. So it's kind of in the same way that she was having an attack when Farnese grabbed her. Now she's apparently unconscious. But at the same time, in the picture where Griffith is grabbing her, She's like holding his hand, or actually he's holding her hand, but mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's not very clear what's happening exactly. So it's a bit, yeah, yeah. That page out of context, the leak of Guts holding the sword over the shoulder, it has such a different feeling if that's all you see. Yeah. It's if all you see is that moment of, it looks like Casca's clasping Griffith's hand, right? Which yeah. leads to a whole different train of thought than there really should be in this moment, So. So fuck the leaks is all I'm saying. Well, it's also it's also kind of, it's not like that page that particular panel isn't like one of their best recreations of no. Mira's style either. Yeah. And, it, and unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> that should have been one that's like that should have been arguably the best drawing in the episode if you were just rating which are important. <laughs> like, but uh, yeah. so yeah, so that didn't help either. But I guess uh, in defense of the the new crew here, you know it's. I can see what's wrong with it. I also marvel at the fact that, like, you know, I wouldn't know where to begin with this. Like, you know, it's like even if, let's say even I was, like, a 10-year comic vet, I still wouldn't know where to begin with, like, recreating this and doing it justice. And I'd probably quit, you know, midway through every episode. So I don't know what their process is or how they feel about it as they're making it. And it's probably, like... Do they read it and go, this isn't how Mira would have done it, but we got to... You know, I don't think we can do it any better... I think it takes serious guts and balls, honestly, to, to do what they're doing. Yeah. Guts Particularly, and be, yeah. Balls <laughs> and balls and. <laughs> Lots sorry. of them, too. Uh, <laughs> I just, particularly for it to be them, those who really, really knew him well, to, to decide how to fill a white page, you know, with his creations. Uh, as you said, Griff, you were intimidated by it. And, and I can't imagine it being them as well. I know it's tough, even to commit art to page. For it to be living off of Mira's legacy, it must be really, you know, rough. I mean, Maury said on Twitter that he actually like had insomnia for several nights because he was just worried what the public reaction would be. And I think they generally are under a lot of pressure. He must be under yeah. a lot of pressure. And I think, I mean, I've said it before, but he's pretty much the reason the project is happening, or at least this version of it. Because he's the one who agreed to do it, and he's the one who knew the rest of the story. And... I'm guessing the staff is also under a lot of pressure to try to perform and do some things that looks that doesn't look too bad. So yeah, it's a uh, stuff. It's tough mm-hmm. for the stuff on them. It's a weird sort of contradiction, you know. Like as a fan, you come up against this sort of thing, and you really want to mm-hmm. support the team and and cheer them on and and let them know that this is something that hopefully will honor Mira's memory. But at the same time, because you're so used to living in the penthouse, as Griff was saying, and now you're in the basement, it just it's such a weird feeling, and you're used to a different sort of experience when reading Berserk. 
And yeah. so the continuation is just a very surreal feeling. So it's hard not to express that at the same time. So I just keep going back and forth being like, oh, they're doing their best. Mm-hmm. This is really good. But oh, damn. Yeah. I mean, I can't yeah. help seeing what I see. You know, I, I think I've said it in the chat and the thread. Like, we're all seeing the same things. But it's like, I, I feel this great sort of vacillation between like, oh, yeah, that's not good. And then also feeling protective of the team and thinking like, well, I don't want to tear down their their tribute to Miura and be you know and sort of like I, I wouldn't want them to be like get a bunch of bad feedback and be discouraged or anything but I would want them to like you know if they see what's wrong and they can go oh yeah you know let's let's do things differently you know that would obviously be positive too that's how I feel too like maybe they can try to improve the style and do a little better on the paneling like incrementally yeah maybe they can say like oh yeah you know we didn't notice that because we're just so in the weeds trying to draw yeah, all this yeah. stuff that we've never done before you know for the series that it's right. like yeah we weren't uh, we didn't notice that that we missed that yeah I still do think they should have named it something else <laughs> oh yeah that no question oh yeah mm. yeah as I would actually help them maybe having a little pressure instead of pretending it's just eh, it's just going on Last- would that be more awkward in the sense of then it's like hey we're doing Berserk IPs the sequel series you know it's like I see it both ways as well. I don't know. I, like where I know what you mean, like, uh, but at the same... It sounds better to me. I mean, yeah, but I mean, I could take it either way. Yeah, I don't think as long as you, as it's clear from the beginning that it's not something you're just not good, going to be doing it for 20 years and, and then there's another character and Godson is going to continue the journey. I don't feel that would be a problem. To me, it's just a matter of like not pretending nothing's changed because right. like you said... more of a formal acknowledgement that this is ultimately a different thing yeah it's, it's different right. and like even just from the limitations they've imposed on, to, on themselves in order to stay faithful like it can't be the same so in a way i feel like the, the marketing decision which i don't expect was i mean it's even sure it's not a matter of mori or the staff deciding it but i feel it's it's a bit crazy actually ridiculous like what, yeah. what did they think? What was they thinking, honestly? <laughs> what was Hakushensa thinking, saying like, oh, well, we just keep going, no problem. Yep. Kind of baffling to me. Why would they Why would they do that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, except to just keep selling it. Sure. Let's close off the general impressions. Let's get a little more focused. I have a lot of topics to go through. Uh, let's start with one of the ones that got a lot of focus, uh, which is Zod. What is Zod doing here? Nothing. Uh, Zod's action on the page, etc. Uh, lots to say about Zod. Let's just start with him. Well, when he came down from the sky, it didn't make a lot of sense. And in my head, I'm like, all right, well, Sonya's going to be clinging to his back and she'll be peeking around making some kind of dizzy face or something. That'll be funny. And at least that'll validate all the stuff about the world tree transfer- transportation. We didn't get any of that. That Could that have been... An omission similar to Farnese and Casca sliding to the left unexpectedly. Uh, maybe. I have to call it what it feels like, which is, it feels like an inconsistency. And you know what? Given everything else, it's kind of like fine. I, I kind of like only sort of care. And I pointed out, as I would have pointed out, even if Mira was writing this, I would have pointed it out saying, hey, this seems wrong. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it would have been a huge deal if Mira had made that kind of mistake. Mm-hmm. But here it's just like, yeah, I, I expect them to make mistakes. So sure. honestly, <laughs> I mean, it's not like it doesn't stop me in my tracks. But at the same time, I want to 
at least try to make sense of it. Am I missing something? Is there another facet at work here? You know, I don't think... It might still be, like, we might still get some crazy thing, like, Sonia is hanging out in the sky on a flying apostle, and Zod <laughs> told her, stay here. Yeah, sure. That's So that's not very likely, to be honest. His horn is a big beacon. That's my theory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That being said, I feel like like the team felt Zod was needed to transport Griffith and Casca away. Yeah. Because they were like, well, uh, it's, yeah, we don't want to show Femto. We don't know that Mira wanted to show Griffith transfer into Femto. So we're just going to bring in Zod as a taxi man. And that's why they made him come. And because he comes, he takes a swipe at Gus. And that's it. It can't be a consequential fight. So he takes a, a swipe at him. Then Gush you know, goes around him, and that's it. So, sorry, sorry. I don't. I never like to do actual interruptions on this show. Go ahead. I'm done. You just said something completely crazy, and you, you're not wrong. But I want to point it out. The fight with Zod can't be a consequential thing. I mean, yeah, it's. I know. I agree. It, it sounds. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, and it is. Yes. But at the same time, it's also what it is, which is yep. Zod comes. He like he hits the ground. Uh, Gus dodges because he was in the process of fighting Griffiths. Then. Gus tried to go around him. He gets hit. Then he goes around him anyway and hits Griffiths. And we don't know what Zod does. And then Zod is just looking at what's happening, dumbfounded. Yeah, he stays still. He does not advance on Guts. He doesn't even hit him after Guts, you know, brings his sword down on Griffith. He's just sort of, yeah. I guess, he's he's hanging out so with Mark. It's your, fight, it's your fight now, boss. <laughs> yeah, if Zod wasn't there, it wouldn't make any difference. You're right. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. the point. Yeah, if Zod had not flown down, nothing would change in the sequence of events. Scott still would have brought his sword down to Griffith and tried to, for some reason, attack him in the proximity, whatever. Mm. Um, Zod's spinny hand attack, I don't know what to make of it either, guys. It's his drill attack. He's actually drilling. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's how wrists work, even with apostles. Yeah, no. Maybe it's like he's, it's sort of like a corkscrew motion that he's doing, you know, as he brings his hand around. <laughs> I think they were trying yeah, I, to jazz it up a little. Maybe the sound effect is ver. Yeah, it's just, honestly, I feel like it's just, they didn't know what effect to make. So they did the swirling motion and it's like, eh, good enough. Someone pointed out that it might have been Guts going blind. It was, we saw his vision fading. Here's the thing, though. It's a different effect. It's a very distinct swirl effect. It's, kind of strange. Yeah, it's definitely not that. And I don't want to pick on that because then, you know, it's unending. It's like, yeah, you're pulling the thread on the sweater and then suddenly you've unraveled it. You know? Yeah, everything unravels. Suddenly you have no sweater. <laughs> it, same thing. A lot of people commented on the fact, uh, again, on the previous page, Griffiths looks over his shoulder uh, and he sees, like, the the beast eye. And it's like it's right behind him, whereas Gut is actually way in the distance on the previous page, on the first page. So yeah. it doesn't actually make any sense, except if he's feeling like... Guts, uh, his bloodlust towards him or something like that. I mean, at least that's how I take it. But it doesn't even make, like, any real sense. No, I, I can't make sense of it either. Yeah. So I don't it, know. It doesn't make sense. And it's not... It's also the thing. Like, so far, the Beast Eye has been something, like, for Guts himself. It's more of representation of him because it's that his mental thing going on. And even when we see, like, the black face, white eye thing... It's usually because, like, the way Gus's enemies see him or to depict his rage or something. But for Griffiths, who is basically invulnerable and actually just literally does not get any damage from Gus hitting him, why would he perceive Gus like that? Like, what, what would that, 
what what is it supposed to depict? Uh, because it's, he's basically like a demigod, and Gus is an ant. So why is he perceiving him like that instead of as a pathetic worm, which is how he actually calls him uh, before, you know? The only thing that would make sense is if he was perceiving, like, the power of the armor, but it doesn't seem like it's any closer to becoming active right? or anything, you know, or becoming, like, a threat yeah. to Zod, for example. You can start to unravel it by asking, what does this panel do? What is it? How does it augment anything? Yeah. Uh, does it lead to something else later? Uh, I don't think so. And so it's just, it's just kind of a yeah. puzzle. Yeah, there was an empty space and they needed to fill it. So that's it for Zod. Uh, I'd also subscribe to the idea that Zod even crashing down to begin with was just so that they can later frame a shot of Casca and Griffith flying off on Zod. And that's literally it. There's a different way of looking at Zod's arrival. There's like, for me, I, like I said, I never minded it because Griffith and Zod are peas in a pod. I mean, they, they go everywhere together almost. So it's, to me, it's not like peculiar that Zod would show up following Griffith to serve in his role as his protector. It was just that, you know, they didn't rationalize it, at least yet, with how he got there. They didn't explain, you know, yeah. how it happened. But to mm-hmm. me, thematically, like Zod crashing in like that, there's nothing weird about it. It's just something that needs to be explained with the physics of the world and the rules of the world. And they might not get around to that. I don't know. I, can, mm-hmm. I think Zod crashing down invites a, okay, so now what question. And we didn't get any now what. In this episode, you know? He also arrives at exactly the most convenient time for him to arrive. That's also worth mentioning. It was all part of Griffith's plan. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) he could have arrived when the boy was still in the boy form. But no, he transforms back into Griffith. Guts has uh, enough time to have a confrontation. Then that comes. Then Gus still has a confrontation with Griffiths, and then it feels like they're about to leave. He was he was in in the tree branch for five days, naked in his human form, like eating a ham sandwich. You know, just being like, <laughs> "How long is this full moon gonna last?" Yeah, so it's he uh, said it'll yeah, be a little it's a bit, longer. <laughs> it's a bit odd, yeah. Next up on the topic list is uh, dialogue. There was dialogue in this episode. You know, we talked a lot about that in the last podcast and a lot of chatter on the forum as well. But how much dialogue are we going to see? Uh, but really, we're talking about the two-page spread of uh, Danon and uh, the kids and Serpico. We talk quite a bit, colorfully, with even the inclusion of those little, you know, what do you call them? Super deformed faces, miniature faces of Isma and Isidro. Yeah, so. that was a nice that was a nice try to try to replicate stuff Mira would do. Mm-hmm. So They were taking some swings here where they in the kind that they didn't really do. Last episode, I guess you could say Farnese and Shirke having a talk uh, yeah. was, was was part of that as well. So it's about the same level of dialogue now that I think about it. I guess yeah. it's not that much different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty much the same. Uh, there's a bit more in this one. What I'll say is that uh, while the dialogue is very basic, uh, it kind of felt off to me, to be honest. Uh, whether it's uh, Serpico somehow acting like he's uh, Isidro Isma's uh, babysitter, Telling them, oh, you got to say goodbye now. I mean, and he's doing a smile like, yes, yes, dad. Uh, that's not that, like, really? And even like stuff like the way the word brownie is used, it's a bit like, I, I can see what they were trying to do. But even the way in which the characters speak, I, I know it's kind of, it sounds stupid and I don't want to play like armchair Japanese expert or anything like that, but it, it does feel kind of different. So I'm actually... 
Like, I hope they don't start doing more dialogue, like more than this level, because I feel like it would pretty rapidly start feeling off. It would get even worse. Whereas it's like, it's already weird that, like you said, it's even though it's basic, it feels off. And it's probably also feels off just because it is basic. And Mira did not do basic dialogue. I mean, like, again, just going back all the way back to 364, those pages are full of speech bubbles yeah, and full of, you know, different nuances being added in. And they, they obviously can't and shouldn't try to do that. So, yeah, I think that basically just this bare bones sort of exposition, like, okay, we're going to do enough to establish the scene and these characters and what they're doing, like, you know, ha, 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 we're going to bed. And then, oh, no, here's what's happening. Uh, that's probably going to be the norm. Where I'm concerned, though, is where that leaves Guts, who a lot of the series, the way the, I guess, let me think of how to, I mean, the way we travel through it is through his thoughts, you know? Yeah. Like, we're getting his read on every situation. We're getting, you know, Guts, in a way, is like the closest thing we have to someone telling us the story is like through his thoughts on everything. And if we don't get that, what have we got? Imagine Bonfire Dreams only it's just Guts and Casca and they're like, sure is nice. (laughs) Imagine we're just getting Guts, instead of his inner thoughts about everything, we're getting just his real life dialogue where he's like, whatever, it's nothing. (laughs) You know, it's like a different character. (laughs) Uh, I do like the joke on the page. The little, it's the first joke we've seen in a while now I think about it. Um, Esma and Isidro, she's proposing cleaning tomorrow. And Isidro's like, oh, I got a train. And then it's like, Isma has just volunteered to uh, clean, and, and Danon's laughing along with it. So, eh, that was funny. Kind of funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, again, they try to replicate uh, the kind of whimsical dialogue, that kind of thing. I feel like, you know, maybe they've done it like that because, again, it's inconsequential. So, it's not, yep. it's, it's not something that would be a big deal, like what Guts is thinking when Griffiths is taking Casca. And I feel like, Mori might have got like a few key lines, like the kind of thing Guts will tell Griffiths at the end, uh, as he fucking smashes his face in, or the, the <laughs> kind of thing Griffiths will be telling Guts when he flies off with Casca, like, <laughs> see you in another life, brother. Like, uh, <laughs> Why? Oh my God. The lost references don't come forget, back. Don't forget to un- impute the numbers or some shit like that. So, I don't know. Not Casca's boat. <laughs> Like, yeah. This island was special. The yeah, the, the hatch uh, just exploded. Because oh, the hatch uh, exploded. Yeah, that's why the ooze is coming out. That's it's, where uh, the ooze oh, is God. coming from. It's all been a last reference. So yeah, he might have a, a few like a few lines like that, like key really key moments, but obviously not the rest. And so, and I feel like if he actually starts trying to write guts, he's gonna sound like shit. To be honest, so I'm I'm really. I don't know. At the same time, I feel like if you removed all the dialogue on these two pages and you just left Danan being like, oh, something's bad coming, just that. Like, that's the thing. How awkward would this whole page spread look without any talking except for that? Honestly, I mean... You that's can, the format they signed up for, is my point. Yeah, you, you can... The thing is, you could guess yeah. that they're coming back. Well, I think this is... You're getting back to an illustrated summary, you know, where it's like... Yeah. You know, yeah, we just get the scene set of them walking back, and then we just get the, the clear story dialogue of her going, you know, something's wrong, you know, and uh, yeah, without trying to fill it in with sort of berserk-like banter. I'm okay with it, though, because this character dialogue feels to me like they're just extending 
the same kind of character momentum that was already there. They're just kind of pulling it out a little bit more. But it doesn't. It didn't like repel me or anything. I thought it was. Yeah, fine. no, it's not. It's not offensive. I don't think at this point that you know they've already set out to what they're trying to do. That is Studio Gaga. So it's like they kind of we got to we got to see them write it out. If they were already giving up at this point, you know, people are complaining enough about like the lack of dialogue. I mean, obviously during the leaks, people were like, "There's only dialogue on two pages. This sucks." You know, we were. You know, the the blood was in the water. Uh, so it was actually a pleasant surprise, and it's like, oh look, they are actually uh, conversing here. Uh, so I, I would like to see them try it, but like as warns, maybe I'll come to regret that, you know, if if they do too much. <laughs> yeah, this feels like a good point to just go to the next topic, which is Danon. I'm looking at her on the page here. She senses something massive happening deep underground. Uh, obviously, we see what happens. At the end of this episode, something strange has been has risen from the depths of the earth, she says. She is sweating. She's obviously sensed it, you know, maybe even felt her power drain or something like that from yeah. this, whatever is happening. Um, of course, the natural question, I think Azil was the first to point it out, even though it's obvious, is like, how did the astral creatures in 365 sense something? And then Danon sensed nothing. She's out here partying for two episodes before. Proximity? <laughs> like, a- eh. It's just it's just convenient for her not to sense it before. This is why you don't want like your monarch and head of security to also be the cleaning lady, you know? Like she's got too much yeah. responsibility. <laughs> <Yeah>. She's distracted. <laughs> she was too busy uh, cleaning the, the floor for to notice yep. it. Now, I think honestly, it just it's just convenient for her to notice it now. To me, the mm-hmm. big question is: uh, Is she mortally stricken by whatever was done to the tree, or is she just weakened and might recover? Like what's going on? Uh, because I think, I mean, it's so obvious to me is that whatever afflicts her is uh, related to the tree, to the fact that we see the blossoms mm-hmm. being uh, taken away, vanishing by what feels like a gentle breeze, which is also kind of strangely depicted, at least to me. So, yeah. yeah, the question is, because, like, blossoms being taken from a tree doesn't mean the tree is dead, necessarily. It's not like... And they, they don't just fall on the floor or something like that. At the same time, it could still mean that the tree's dead. On the first page of the next uh, episode, it explodes and black ooze comes out. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it could be the case. I do hope Danny can make a comeback, though, because like a lot of other people, I was kind of hoping that she'd be able to stand up to Griffith at least a little bit along with the gurus. She doesn't just have like a heart attack and die yeah. you know, nah. like, as a result of this. I don't think she will. I think they introduce her as a powerhouse, and yet the most she's done is, of course, the Corridor of Dreams, which is very, very cool. I don't think you introduce a character like that only for her to just, you know, faint. You know, it doesn't seem well, right. They also, they opened up that can of worms with her and Skull Knight, with her, you know, being the spitting image of his beloved, and obviously her beloved is buried under the tree and whatever's going on there. Yeah. Right. And from a practical perspective, she was also supposed to be teaching Farnese uh, about some special type of magic. I, I know that feels like the least, you know, worry right now, but... I signed up for classes. What the hell? Yeah, still, Farnese was supposed to learn about it, and I don't feel like it would have been set up just for it to be, up. Oh, too bad, she's dead. <laughs> no, you're not going to learn anything. <laughs> just because no one said it, I'll say it, is that, you know, we've talked about this for years, but I, I think some newer readers or that weren't around for back in, you know, 10 years ago or so is Cheech. Uh, how when they introduced Cheech in the manga, it seems to be a hint at things to come. 
I remember even thinking back then, you can listen to the podcast rereads, we thought the introduction of a new kind of elf that's tied to a tree or a plant yeah. felt like it could be something hinting up at the way the elf king at the time would, would function. Mm-hmm. And here in this episode, we see the petals blow away. To me, I immediately thought about Cheech, uh, those flowers blowing away in the wind like that. The implication that that has, which is the you know lessening of power, yeah, well, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit of a different case, but uh, indeed, the parallel remains that if the tree dies, I would expect Danan to die along with it, and vice versa. So, yeah, yeah, I guess the question is just how close is Danan to that situation? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the the whole point is that her power was keeping whatever's coming at bay, uh, right. and it's been disrupted and like maybe cancelled even. We don't know how. That, that's what, uh, I mean, that's probably on purpose, but it's a bit jarring also that we don't exactly see what's going on. We don't know how, how it happens. It just happens. I'm guessing it will be revealed in the next episode, but uh, for now, I'm just like, hmm, curious yeah. what's going on. Mm-hmm. I do think it's meant to be mysterious and, you know, bigger than human hands, that kind of thing. All, all that to me is in line with the way that Griffith has been depicted. I think the problem is not conceptual. It's just in the execution of this from panel to panel. Yeah. It is a weird, you know, ethereal, weird, you can't put your hands on it thing that's happening. And we're seeing it happen in a way that's hard to grasp. Uh, I think I had to probably read it three times, panel by panel, to like figure out, okay, this happens and then this happens. So that might mean right. this happens, that kind of yeah. thing. It's also very Tricky. disjointed. It's the same problem like it does generally that you see Guts looking at his sword and being like, Nani! and then you see uh, those petals being blown away. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like it's not really directly tied to what Dan is saying. You, you can just assume it is. So it's uh, and the same thing is like at first I would have expected I'm like, OK, if it's a wind, like is it Griffith's uh, the wind power he displayed in Britannus? But in Britannus, it's like a very strong gust of wind that like really blasts through Ganishka yeah. so much so that he can't keep his fog form going. But here it's really, and Ishiro even says so, it's just a nice breeze. It's a small breeze, but it's enough to remove all those blossoms. So that's, that's not very realistic, but you know, never mind that. We, we just see it as a breeze. It's not like a strong wind. People are not blown off. It's not a gutscape is being blown. It's just, yeah, it, it removes a bit of that uh, dust that was raised in the air. It, it blows the petals away. We don't know how. I'm going to assume it's either Griffith's power or maybe even another member of the Godan's power, but something pretty consequential, pretty big. Yeah, and mm. I also think that it could be that because something happened underground that the petals simply got, dis- you know, yeah. began falling. Yeah. And then the wind carries them away, and that's the action we're meant to see that before and after shot of the tree is that the petals started to fall from the leaves and they get blown away. Yeah, it was the petals blowing away rather than it being like the petals blow away, therefore the protection is gone, therefore... Or is it the other way around where that's just a symptom Mm -hmm. of the the problem? Mm -hmm. I I think it is symptomatic because what what Danon is talking about is happening deep underground. And then, you know, we even see the ground break and the cabin gets raised up into the air... So imagine a tree has roots, and if the roots get damaged, presumably the tree gets damaged, that kind of thing. Yeah, it makes sense. Griffith mm-hmm. hasn't said anything, has he, since uh, the end of 364? Correct. No. You're not even like, you know, rise. Because <laughs> like, Griffith's dialogue is probably probably requires the most amount of uh, poetic language. 
you know. It'd be like him and Skull Knight are not going to be conversing anymore, like on top of Ganeshka. Yeah, it's very difficult because Murak always kept it close to the to the vest. Because, I mean, there's Griffiths, the facade, where he's like, hey, I'm a nice guy. And then there's his actual self, which is uh, Femto, the Rings of Darkness, who regards human life as just placings or whatever. So that's why he has like three internal thoughts uh, in the last 20 volumes. And all of them are about the boy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, showing him saying something to God, showing his internal thoughts, very, very difficult I feel like, again, we might get a line, an exchange between him and Guts while he flies off, uh, because that's something Mira might have told Mori, but other than that, mm-hmm, probably not. It's going to be like in the form of like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man memes. He's going to be like, later, chump, and then just <laughs> jump on Zod. If I <laughs> uh, let's go on to Guts. Um, I, I started by saying I, I, I don't think it gave Guts much to do here other than grit his teeth. His big action here is breaking past Zod and bringing his sword down in a dramatic fashion, although he's done that a few times in the past episode, so I'm not sure what he expected to happen here. Obviously, he's got to do something. I get it. He's guts. That's his verb, is to slash things with the big dragon slayer. I get it. But it doesn't make a lot of dramatic tension sense in this moment. Uh, I think the way the sword comes down and that big plume of smoke and the sword resting on the shoulder, I can kind of squint and imagine how this might have been depicted under Miura. And, you know, imagine how this was in Volume 8 when Guts had this big duel with Griffith. And a reminder, this moment was described or hinted at to us in this French interview two years ago that, you know, Guts' next duel with Griffith was coming up. Now, whether that was actual intended as a duel or whether that was a translator's, you know, flourish, we don't know. Yeah. But the, the stage was set for a duel Imagine how this might have been framed by Mira as like a, a mirror of Volume Forty or Volume Eight, uh, and yet the difference, of course, is that now Guts is completely outpowered, can't do anything about it, and it being drawn in a different way that would give you a more dramatic feeling than what we get in this episode. So something felt missing to me for this lineup, this matchup, and it really comes across when the shoulder. When the sword rests over the shoulder, it's just not a power. It's not that powerful to me, and it feels like it should be. Like something's missing here. You know yeah. what they could have actually done? I don't know if Mira would have done this, but with Hanar, you know, introduced and everything, Griffith could have actually like paid guts back and broken the Dragon Slayer, and basically mm. it would have been like the biggest oh my god, <laughs> you know, sort of moment for the audience, like. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. You know, it's basically like... That'd be the end of the series. Yeah, you know, well, you know, because, you know, it's like, yeah, that's... And for Guts, too, where it's like, you know, what does he do at that point, you know? And so then, you you know, you can pick up the pieces and R would, of course, be able to put it back together and, you know, we'll make it stronger, you know, blah, blah, Mm. blah. But, yeah, it'd be psychologically so damaging. So I don't know if that's something that was ever in the cards, but it's something that, you know... Like you were saying, this should have been a bigger moment, and it and it wasn't. It was, it felt a little more plain for you know the stakes mm-hmm. that were uh, you know set up. There's also the fact I don't know the fact many people picked on that that Guts would hit Griffiths while he holds Casca, and that <laughs> if he had actually been able to cut through him, he would have also killed Casca. If I can't have her, <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> You can't, I mean, I can't deny it. It's true. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it's not faithful to the way Gus does things. Uh, so yeah, it's not really, I can't really explain it. Might have made more sense uh, 
for him to hit Griffiths first, do no damage, then Griffiths bends and picks up Casca. I don't know. In any case, uh, I agree. And I mean, I, I don't think Mira would have had the Dragon Slayer broken, but there were ways to do something probably cooler than that. Again, I mean, if you just think back to how Femto blows him away in Volume 3. Right, I was thinking the same thing. If it just bounced off him and Guts flew back, you know. Yeah, he could have just... And why not? Why, why not do that? Yeah, I'll tell you what. He ends thing. up being like 10 feet away from him somehow anyway. <laughs> imagine imagine Guts is rushing. So Griffiths is reaching Casca. Guts really goes all his strength, hits him on the back, like, like in that same angle. Griffiths just, we see his eye looking back. Kind of the same thing on page two. He looks back and the, the sword just stops. Like not even on his shoulder, he just stops in midair and Guts is like, ah, ah, he can't do anything. Then he's thrown on the floor and Griffiths then just resumes, pick up Skaska and he's like, and the ground breaks up and he's ready to fly. It's not a big difference, but to me at least it would feel much more powerful because it's like, I'm exerting my power. You can't do anything to me. Whereas here it's just, he's not even paying attention. Yeah, and it's also confusing visually because it's not like Guts has never stopped his Dragon Slayer before it hits somebody. He's done that many times before. Yeah. Uh, you know, like when he, when he smashes the horse, the infamous horse with Farnese, his sword stops just above her. He's shown that kind of control before. It wouldn't have been surprising for him to stop. But mm. that's not meant to be the takeaway here. It's meant, I think... It's meant to show that Femto stopped it. Um, I do think the idea is that he just couldn't do any damage to, to him. However, I mean, the way it's depicted is that Griffith doesn't even pay attention. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care. That's the weird thing with some of this is how passive Griffith seems. Yeah. Like before his powers, like, okay, so the way he's betrayed since the incarnation, at first it looked as if it was like fate, you know, where he's un he's a mortal man, but he's untouchable, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, in reality, the more likely scenario is he's femto. He can just move these things with his powers, but he still has to actively do that. Like in the, on top of Ganeshka, you know, Skull Knight makes his move. And, you know, to make a basketball metaphor, Femto steals the ball from him and slam dunks it and goes, ah, ha, ha, you know, in his face. Here, this is like Griffith just stands there and the ball goes through the hoop by itself and he just smiles. And yeah. It, it's more detached and it's it makes him yeah. seem even more distantly powerful and invulnerable, like as has sort of been saying, like where it's like, well, where are they – where are they going with this? Because at least before there was a hint that there was, if you could get around his defenses, you know, you could do something yeah. to him. But here there's almost like there, you know, there is no around the defenses. It seems very hopeless. Yeah. Like I said in the thread, the problem I have with it is that it's it's fine to have a character that's overwhelming. Like he's got so much power and so on and so forth. But if he's just like invulnerable and doesn't care about anything... It becomes boring, and that's what it is to me. Looking at this, it just so Guts strikes him. There's no tension. Yeah, he's he's vaguely smirking, but it's not even clear. Uh, some of these panels, his face is barely drawn. Then he just walks toward Casca, picks her up, and leaves. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't. He barely looks at Guts. Uh, it's just not very interesting, basically. And because we don't get any insight into Guts' reaction, because he's not got nothing going on internally just like his eyes and the sweat, it's not enough. So it, it ends up being kind of boring, whereas it should be like the most riveting moment in the entire yeah. series. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all resigned to the fact he's just going to leave probably and we're not even going to get like, you know, Dan and at least like 
hitting him with something, you know? Yeah. She's not even there to see it, though. Yeah, Donna is just dying off screen <laughs> because of whatever. Is, uh, okay, great. And I, I'm, oh, no. Isma is Sidro and Serpico will be like, well, night. See ya. Go back, back to bed now. Because they're giving her uh, some uh, stomachache medicine where she's just, <laughs> oh, my God. The world is ending. <laughs> so, uh, Rosebud... We're still technically in the gut section of this. I wanted to point out the the beast issue that I had. He's just doing a damn good job of keeping the beast in check. You know, despite that being a lingering uh, problem with guts is the beast. And that he can't even control his temper when the word Griffith is mentioned on the on the beach of Vertanis. He has to smack at his back, right? Yeah, because of Yamo, yeah. Uh, we saw a little bit of the beast in 365. I'm not trying to brush that aside, but I will say as the action played out, as Guts obviously got frustrated and realizing that his options were becoming more and more limited, why wouldn't he activate the I mean, at this point? It's a good point, but it's not just a beast per se, because we do see like... The beast eye and all that stuff. The problem is the armor. The armor is sure. a, like a cursed item. And it's not supposed to be something he can control. The idea is that, yeah, when he just hears the word Griffiths on the beach, the armor is already halfway activating. And he has actually to right. slap it down. Shuki yells at him. He's like, oh, my God. And so, like, his control doesn't get over. It does get a bit better. But at the same time, the effects of the armor also grow more powerful, which means he has more trouble restraining them. And so, yeah, here is basically letting his aggression go on full power. He's hitting with all his strength and like the armor does not react at all. And that is, again, an inconsistency. It doesn't really, doesn't really make any sense. It's like it goes against what we've been shown before in the series and we don't have any explanation why. And it might just be that, you know, he's just, oh, he's just resisting, but he actually doesn't look like he's resisting it. Yeah, my my only guess is that maybe Mori didn't feel comfortable saying, "Oh, he transforms in the armor." Yeah, and and jumps to try to get Griffith. So, I, that, I, that's the only explanation I can think of. It would actually make more sense for him to transform his armor. Yeah, for him to attack Griffith, and for Griffith to be like blocking the sword while holding Casca, as Gus is just. Either being broken off from the armor because he's just being hit by something, some strength, or whatever. Right. It would make sense for that to be the case. Whereas here, it's just... Again, it doesn't make sense. It, it goes back to that. It's, it's out of character for Guts to hit Griffiths with full power while Casca is in his arms. No matter how you look at it, if he had been under the armor's influence, it right. would make sense as him like crossing that line, finally crossing the line where he's going to attack and if actually he's hit lands, he would kill her. And it's Griffiths that stops it. It's like... That's such a better dilemma, too, for that moment. Yeah. Because Gut's out of control and he's doing the thing that he always swore he would never do. Right. He's doing it. That would be so great. Griffiths saves her. Shirke and Farnese would be witnessing it, too, and having a reaction to that. Yeah, and the thing is, each time the boy stopped him. Yeah. Like right. on the beach, on the solitary island, the boy stopped him. This time it's Griffiths. And Griffiths, yeah, they're one of the same with the boy. So there's a whole, like... Uh, it's it, a better story. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah. Or what if the helmet was starting to activate and then Guts reached over his own shoulder and punched it? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. And it went back into it, place. It got stuck. It got stuck. Well, it did already. It was running up his back in 365 and then just yeah. <laughs> never. it never made it. it. Yeah, I just think if 
if Mori knew that the beast coming out in the armor was a, a card to play in this, he would have built up to it by hinting at it more and showing Gus struggling with it more. Well, they hint at it a lot. They just don't pay it off. Well, I don't think the beast face necessarily means beast armor hinting at activating. Yeah, no. Because we see it, for example, when he's fighting Roshin, for example. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it's yeah, very, yeah. And the ways I've been doing it here is very inconsistent. It feels like, honestly, to me, it feels like it it's just because when the face is wonky. Yeah, when the face is wonky, they'll just black it out and, and put the eye on it. And it's like, okay. <laughs> he needs to just walk around like that then. Yeah, I mean, it's... That's how it feels felt like to me because it's so inconsistent. The issue and is like it started with we see the the beast swimming up his back, you know, the armor, and then it, we don't see it. We see him having those beast faces, but when we see him otherwise, yeah. he doesn't actually look like he's struggling with it. He actually looks like he's calm and in control. Surprisingly, yeah, calm and in control. <laughs> no big deal. I got this guy. That's yeah. the big inconsistency. Even uh, you know, so he has one reaction. He says. He's basically saying what? Just the beginning of that after he uh, hits Griffiths and nothing happens. We don't even, like, it's not even clear what he's reacting to. It seems to be the fact that his hit did not do any damage. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, again, it's very, I mean. It, it could, would have been useful to it, say right then, my hit, my blade stopped? Yeah. Question mark? It could not be there and wouldn't change anything. If it was just a panel without the, the speech bubble, no difference. Uh, that's it for Guts, I think. Uh, next up is, uh, we talked about the tree already. Is there more to add on the tree? I think we pretty much got it. I think the concept is cool. The fact the blossoms yeah. fly off. I think the way it's depicted is confusing, like we said. Uh, I do think it doesn't necessarily mean the tree is dead. Uh, okay. But it could also be dead. If it does, it means Griffith destroyed the tree in like a page and a half, like which, again, doesn't bode well for our heroes. Yeah, he did it off screen while bending to pick up Casca and getting hit in the back with the sword. And he was like, yeah, oh, sorry, I, I actually destroyed the island by uh, just didn't pay attention. It just happened like that. <laughs> I didn't even that. blink. <laughs> I'm just like staring yeah. straight ahead and this is all happening. It definitely happens off page because it happens while Guts is getting smacked by Zod. Yeah. If, it has, if, if there's any smoking gun for that moment because it's the next page that Danon leans over, you know. I will say that it would make sense to me if it was kind of a coordinated attack uh, by the other members of the God Hand. And it's not like particularly super likely to happen or anything, but it's just, for example, when Femto like uh, took care of Ganeshka and then used a Skull Knight sword to, to cut him open and everything. He actually seems to be concentrating. Like he has to transform into Femto to do that. And then Femto is actually concentrating on it. Like he's exerting he, his power. He, they have a plan and a line like with the Ganeshka uh, moment, like the wind yeah. moment when, you know, he has all the giants pull the, you know, Griffith is basically like, oh, yeah. you know, right. we need some fresh air in here, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so he's got, he, he puts a little mustard on it. Yeah, and here it's just like, is Griffith doing something? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So Hard to say. Probably. Right. <laughs> like I said, it would make sense to me if it was like something else at play which gets revealed mm -hmm. uh, next episode. Like you were saying, if this wind, you know, that he's used once before already, if this is the same kind of wind, even though it doesn't, you know, seem to be the same extremity it would be cool if it was a revelation if there was some other forces helping him like yeah another god hand you know all along yeah and that they're they're kind of they're still present you know doing little things manipulating things doing their part in this story i don't think any wind even happened 
I don't think it was any more windy than normal, other than Isidro's comment. You think the, the things just fell off, and that was just, hey, the breeze carried them away. I do. I think something yeah, underground okay. was the key action here, and we just don't get to see it. What we see is above the surface, the the leaves start to fall. Whereas, well, that's more worrisome, because then it's like the roots died <laughs> instantly or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was saying earlier. It might might just be a matter of, like I said, the power being negated. Uh, mm-hmm. Because if you expect that... Like the tremendous power of Danan and everything like that was keeping something at bay. I mean, I guess I'm moving on to the, the ooze. Yeah, go for it. Secret of the ooze. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like so. My, my first reaction was like, well, that Danan's power was basically a seal that was preventing some ancient evil thing to come out. And now it's been disrupted and it's coming out. So like, like we said, it might actually be as the, the other way around that the thing that was dormant was awakened. And disrupted our power, but I don't know. There's kind of a logic to, you know, something good was preventing it. Maybe that's why the tree was there. Maybe that's why Elfham was even created in the first place. Why the magicians were around. Yeah. Who knows? We knew trouble was coming to the island, was a given from the beginning, from before they even arrived there. A lot of people were just assuming, well, Grumbel is going to come with his goons and just going <laughs> to set fire to the tree. He's going to get the wish's head and then he'll go to leave. And, uh, and it's like, well, we already saw that 20 volumes ago. Why would we see the exact same thing? So I'm actually glad there's something new. And of course, I'll be super happy if it's an actual, like, gold hand level event. Oh, if it turns into, you know, Conrad or something. Yeah. You know. I mean, that, that would be, that would be fucking cool. This continuation was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> even if it's uh even if it's just like I don't know a pool of uh, black shit or the vortex of souls is uh you know what I mean is uh, has got a direct yeah. line to Elfham for some reasons that right. doesn't make sense eh, you know it will still be cool so yeah does Griffith can he just dr- is this like really the evil that's like fucking just under the ground wherever he walks you know that he's keeping under wraps <laughs> basically that he can pull up at any time I mean we we do see that he's able to control the souls of the dead. So it kind of makes sense if he's also mm-hmm. able to like draw after they've been in there a while and become actual evil guys who just want to rape and kill and possess people and eat uh, eat human flesh. Oh. These look different though. These these specters, if you're going to call them specters, and I don't know that they are. Yeah. Uh, because their their eyes are warped and we've seen that effect before, I think. With the uh, incarnation guys, and it just seems like they've been down there a while, you know, and they have been down there a while, long enough to lose their individual forms. Yeah, they've been fermenting. Yeah, yeah I think it's supposed to be like a fluid-like substance where all these probably dead souls are. Yeah, I don't know, marinating. I think we have to assume these things have been down there, and the question is why. We don't know the answer to that. I, I really like Azil's theory that. Elfilm is there, is here for a purpose. It's here on this island for a purpose. This island has a purpose. <laughs> uh, I do like that a lot, and it fits. I see you see a lot of pieces that for that reason that might fit. He as he alluded to them quickly because he's modest about this. But like, <laughs> imagine there's a bunch of the the world's magicians are here on this island. There's lots of protections. There's this weird time displacement thing around it, all of which to keep people away. Why keep people away? Because mm-hmm. they like it, the peace and quiet? I mean, sure, maybe. But maybe there is something they are protecting from the rest of the world. That makes sense to me. Yeah, it adds a also, new dimension to it, for sure. I like that idea a lot. We also did get a lot of uh, foreshadowing about the 
forest, having a low gravity because there's low burritos in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, going deep, deeper down. Did you say burritos in it? Burritos, <laughs> burritos, my burritos. <laughs> Barutes. That's how it. Uh, that's yeah. how it's pronounced in Japanese. The fifth element with uh, mm-hmm. Bruce Willis and Mila <laughs> Jovovich. Good movie. Yeah, the podcast where we make every stupid movie or TV series reference. Anyway, <laughs> people love that in the chat. I got a lot of good feedback. People love our crappy pop. Yeah, from like 20 years and ago, like oh, the fifth element, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Back when movies were good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there might be something to that as well. Uh, it's not exactly clear what, but there might be something to it. As uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but did you uh, make a connection with the Tower of Rebirth and the, and the sacrifices underneath there? Am I remembering wrong? Yeah. I just thought that was an interesting connection. That was uh, moi. Oh, that was your post. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I got it confused. I also, no, I also talked about it, Grail. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. what I said, thank you both. What I said was, uh, like the first thing you think about when you see those, uh, like that pool of black souls. And Walter's, you know, posted about it first. Is that the mega specters from the condemnation arc uh, when the incarnation is about to take place? And so thinking about that, you're like, hmm. Well, a thousand years ago, Geyser's capital city was destroyed. So could it be that? Like, whatever resulted from that uh, has been imprisoned there. The problem with that is it happened halfway across the world, and we actually see down the Tower of Rebirth that there are still corpses there, and, like, the ruined city was actually there uh, yeah. as soon as, uh, I mean, as recently as when Gus uh, and, and company rescued Griffiths. So doesn't make much sense. At the same time, who knows? Maybe, like... It is a weird parallel, like a bunch of dead, presumably dead souls being underneath something or dead bodies it's just like okay what you know what can i do with this idea right now there's already at least like two or three giant wells of dead coagulated souls in the series yeah. so you know <laughs> if there was another one it's like it, it happened yeah it, the they're list. not necessarily related. you could also think that for example the woman dana resembles was also there when she died uh with guys yeah. this capital city presumably uh, so again, could it be like that a part, like the city was displaced mm. to the middle of the ocean in some specific place and some parts remained, but most of it disappeared and it's actually like Helfelm was sealing it or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's kind of far-fetched. But, but. There, yeah, it's, it, that's the problem. When I, uh, another, just a random thought, but again, it's far-fetched and you have to do a lot of heavy lifting. Is, could it be connected to like the dead god hand, the presumably dead god hand somehow? Yeah. Maybe those guys were imprisoned there, or maybe after they were slain, uh, like this, all this shit spewed forth from yeah. them because they're like concentrated evil, and it was sealed. It's also a possibility, and I, I think Walter, I'll let you talk about it, but you mentioned it might also be related to like the primordial apostle, like beings we see. The two-page spread directly after the gorgeous two-page spread in 362, uh, we see these things, then we didn't know what they were crawling out of the tentacles. They're full of fur and they have weird placed eyes. We, we called them proto-apostles at the time because of their various chaotic forms. Uh, they don't. I don't think they're apostles, though. We never really thought. It's the apostle starter kit. But there's a lot of them. I don't know what they are. But I'm just saying it would be nice to kill two birds with one stone to answer one mystery with another. Mm-hmm. The ooze dudes are these dudes. Yeah, it's a, I feel like like that's connected to the idea it could be the former the voids, former acolytes. Mm. who, like, either dead or imprisoned or whatever uh, resulting in this, is that we get that flashback 
just a few episodes ago, and yeah. it's it's not probably not a coincidence. Uh, Mira was very careful about how he planned things up, and uh, and I think yeah, I think there's some relations there. It also just in order for it to be such a monumental event, it's got probably got to be related to what happened a thousand years ago because so many of the players involved are from that time, from Danan to Gethlin and the others, even to the Skull Knight. And a question we can also form is, we know the island is outside the flow of time. Uh, and we also know it's uh, it's not a linear thing where like uh, an hour in the real world will be eight hours in Earth or anything like that. But the question is, how long have these guys actually been on the island? Like for them, how long ago was a thousand years ago? Because if it's just 10 years ago, there's also a thing where it might still be a recent thing. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what they are either. Uh, <laughs> I think they are spirits, hence the eye deformation, um, mm-hmm. spirits of the dead. I don't, I don't, beyond that, I don't know. Uh, maybe they, the team, uh, Studio Gaga, chose to draw these weird furry guys like this after time has passed. We're, we're, we're going to find out a little bit more next episode, I would bet. Since we were talking about references, uh, one sure. thing I thought is uh, the flood from Halo, Halo 1. <laughs> Which is uh, the idea that, like, once you uncork it, it's gonna pour continuously, keep pouring, pouring, and pouring, and devour the island, and even maybe, like, start going for the entire world. Kind of like a reverse Fantasia, where, you know, instead of the wave, the great wave of the astral world, it's gonna be a dark wave covering the world. So that's, that's kind of over the top. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's an idea. I, had. I like it. I like it a lot. Particularly because it answers all questions about, well, is this really the Age of Darkness? Uh, it means like, well, look at these dudes. They're pretty dark mm-hmm. and they're everywhere. That's the Age of Darkness. Uh, I like that idea. I just, mm-hmm. as I said earlier, I just don't think the good guys need yet another opposing force that seems indomitable. Yeah. Uh, we're good on that end. <laughs> yeah. It will also feel pretty convenient that the next step in the Godin's plan would have involved... Guts and Casca going to Elfham so that the boy could come, so that Griffiths could transform. It's just, I mean, when, when everything hinges on like a coincidence, it starts becoming a little bit uh, hard to believe. But was it a coincidence or is that exactly where Griffith drove him? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would say it's uh, too much of a coincidence for, for me to be comfortable with it. So I hope it's not that. <laughs> it's so funny that we've gotten this far. This far, guys, and we're an hour and a half in. We have not mentioned the word kidnapping yet. True. Or abduction. <laughs> uh, yeah, because that was like, woo, that was the star of the show on the internet uh, this past week was, that's it. Casca's already in Falconia having tea with Charlotte. Next episode, that's it. It's over, folks. Griffith's sword again. Charlotte would remember her. That would be the most interesting thing. Do we think this is 100% going through? I don't think so. No. I mean, the Skull Knight uh, has still to do whatever he plans to do. And I mean, Griffiths has got Casca in his arms now, so his hands are full, especially since he's grabbing a fucking boot. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Great move, guys. It's a part of the boy. The boy took over that part. It's just mom. He's hungry. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. give him a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would have preferred if he was just holding a shoulder. But uh, I guess Zod's face in the background says it all. Zod's yeah. face is great. He's wondering why he's even here. What the fuck am I doing yeah. here? What's going on here? You're going to bring a girl with me? I thought this, this was going to be way cooler when I was like, I thought we were going to be conquering the world, man. <laughs> it was just you and me, buddy. What's going on now? 
third wheel for real. Anyway, yeah, I I don't think it's a hundred percent sure that he's going to be abducting her, but I do feel like it's a the most likely scenario at this point. And I'll it's say- a big swing, that's for sure. It's a big bold change. I think we talked about this before a couple times about how does Griffith solve the problem with the boy? Well, he could take Casca to Falconia. I feel like we've said that yeah. a number of times before, but we didn't really fully explore it because it, to me, it still sounds outlandish to me, given all the other possibilities on the table. Yeah, well, it's not. That's the thing. He's, honestly, it's not my favorite. Out of all the possible developments there are for Casca, it's really not what I would have preferred or what I would prefer because... She has so much room to grow with her current companions. And of course, there's Farnese, but even Shuriken Isidro, to whom she could be like a kind of a mentor. And it already started a bit with Isidro. Yeah. And, and just to have that like strong female uh, heroine back in the group and as a counter to Guts. And I would have to the, I mean, given the situation with Guts, it's, you know, kind of expected they would have to split up for a while or something like that. But I would have actually preferred... Something else to be done, and just Casca is taken to Falconia, and obviously, like I don't expect her to just be locked in a cell uh, and just be basically a damsel in distress until the end of the series, because that would be like ridiculous, honestly. That would be even pathetic, I'll say. Mm-hmm. So the one development I find interesting and believable is that she would have to kind of uh, do an escape and she would be, she would meet various characters like uh, Charlotte, Sonia, Owen or Raban or whatever. And she might even be what triggers the unraveling of the little fairy tale around Griffiths. Uh, and, and of course she, she might come through the pandemonium. So we would get more information from that. Uh, she would be challenged by everything, the apostles and come out stronger She'd eventually link up with Luca and maybe even to Rickert and the Bakaraka to escape. So that might be interesting enough itself. The problem is, by the time that's done, I mean, we're already at the end of the story and she hasn't spent any time with the group and that doesn't seem right with me. Yeah, Yeah, she hasn't had even any time to establish a dynamic, really, with the group. So it just feels very premature if that were to happen right now. Mm -hmm. I also think if... Griffith brings Casca to Falconia and locks her up or keeps some kind of protections around her. And she still ends up escaping like Locus is going to just <laughs> smash the entire place at that point. Right. Breaking every railing, you know, in sight. Yeah. yeah. When, when he gets word that another former comrade's here. She slaps him on like the other cheek and it's just like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Can't catch a break. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's many there, – there's there's some interesting things that could happen. You know, my, the first one that comes to my mind is Sonia, that Sonia can read minds and she can project thoughts as well. You know, those two combos are fucking fatal for Griffith's little empire. I, you can't get these two in a room together, you know. Mm-hmm. Problems would happen. Hey, I'm the new girlfriend. I guess you're the ex-wife. Uh, how's it going? Yeah. <laughs> like, how'd it, how'd it work out? <laughs> like – yeah, there's also uh, like a, a very strong parallel between Casca and Sonia. Uh, in mm-hmm. that both of them. Like they were the same helmet. In- yeah, I mean, no, it's just they both idolized Griffiths in their own way, but uh, Sonia is still in the midst of that, and, and Casca, of course, grew out of it and everything that happened. But yeah, she, they have, they've had that similar experience. And of course, like, uh, Casca's got a pretty particular relationship with Charlotte. Right. Uh, so it also makes sense in that regard. Uh, 
Again, it's just the way it's done. Like, how would it be done? How long would it take to do? I'm imagining the mirror version of it, and that's really tantalizing. But we're not going to get that, probably. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, that's yeah. also the problem: is whatever we get is gonna suck compared to what Mira would have done. And there's not going to be a whole lot of dialogue, too. So, so uh, how are you doing? Oh, something's happening in the city. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Casca will just be yeah. looking at her with sweat all over her face, and it's gonna be <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's gonna be it. <laughs> all those things, and I'm not saying those aren't you know good possibilities, but I would trade. Everything, I would throw that away for all the other things Aziel already mentioned. Like, I really wanted to see Casca become the leader of Guts Group. That felt like it fit so natural, like a missing puzzle piece. Yeah. Uh, I really, really, really want to see that. And that's why, I mean, maybe that's the only reason that I think it's not going to happen. Just because it's just it's not as exciting to me personally, which is selfish. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me. We also, we didn't mention it, but why would Griffith abduct her? Mm. Yeah. In my mind, at least, the only possible reason would be to curtail the boys' escapades and be like, okay, I'm going to lock her up, your mom, in like a dungeon cell. And when it's a full moon, I'm going to come in the cell, lock it down, uh, and you basically stay with her. Uh, and otherwise, Zod comes in and, uh, I don't know, Tom answer. And then, you know, it's like an incentive, both kind of an incentive and a threat to the boy to stay there. Uh, and also, of course, that, that what say, further the idea that she's got to be rescued. But... To go back to what we were saying before, to me, it would only be like interesting if she could escape relatively quickly, like it would take 10 episodes, kind of the same thing Rickard did when he visited Falconia, basically. Right. Uh, because if, he sh- if she spends like 10 volumes out of sight and far away from God's group, I don't know, I just don't like it very much. And especially not if she's got, like it becomes a mission for God's to rescue her. That just sounds stupid. And it's like, at that point, why not do that in volume 22, right? So, yeah. Sure. Why go to the ends of the earth to bring her back just to have her locked in a castle? Yeah. Yeah. It'd feel like we'd be going over old territory again. Yep. And it just wouldn't be useful. And we also put a sword in her hand right when she came back. Like, he's hinting at what her development will be in the future. To me... That's what that moment is like. I think the positive reading of it, like the the, I think the pro kidnapping (laughs) position (laughs) is what we were talking about. With this would kind of give her her own little plotline and business on her own that she has with these characters, with Falconia, with Griffith, and kind of exploring that rather than her having to fit in with the gang. You know, we kind of already she's kind of already welcomed into the group, and while we haven't had a lot of development on that. This would be, I think this would be interesting as well, I guess, and potentially worth it. Mm. I mean, but again, I'm imagining the (laughs) idealized version of that, not, you know, Mm. the sort of by the numbers, you know, bare bones kind of representation. I do think like, so if it's short, like I said, like, let's say 10 to 15 episodes, maybe total, and then she rejoins the group, it could be interesting. The one downside from that is that then Griffith's plan would have been stupid right it's like aha i'm gonna bring her up and keep her captive yeah and then she escapes right. right away and it's just okay well that was what do you do do you do you go after her again so yeah it's a bit Good i call. don't know it's it, no scenario seems perfect to me the p- scenario i see playing out is it he is set up that's his plan his yeah. plan is to take cast skull knight and- cuts his arm off <laughs> <laughs> skull knight kills him <laughs> Um, no, it's just, I think his plan is foiled for the first time ever, you know, that he gets stopped by the gurus and stopped by Dan. And I think that would be awesome. Basically, like say everyone basically blasts him with whatever they got and actually gets him to let her go. 
That would be something. As that would be huge. He has to show a little bit of blood here, figurative blood, a little bit of weakness. Right. Or else, what is what will the final confrontation, how will just that a, Just a scratch. Yeah. yeah, something. If he could just be knocked to the ground. I mean, just something as simple as that. Yeah, you know... Mm-hmm. Even even something as simple Push as him. he's forced to drop her off, like to just let her go to defend himself. Yeah. And he he just leaves and Zyarland is still getting fucked and but he has to abandon her and to leave because uh he's encountering resistance. Like he's not even getting damaged, but at least he's not getting his way, you know? Yeah. Because we saw we, we saw uh Hill of Swords, Gas couldn't even reach him, past Dodd. We saw the arrows with the Kushan Shet, of course, pathetic. Nothing can be done to him. We saw Ganishka, pathetic. An apostle can never go against a member of the God Hand. We saw on top of Ganishka against the Skull Knight. He planned it. He expected it. He deflected it. Skull Knight played right into his hand. You didn't say it was pathetic. Yeah. And, and <laughs> here, I mean, no. <laughs> but here, Gus hits him full power of the Dragon Slayer. And we, we've seen that the Dragon Slayer could like sense land off, he could damage even Ganishka's fog form, but here it doesn't do anything to him. He comes, the island gets fucked, like Danan, sovereign of the Frost Storm, yeah, there's no Frost Storm anymore, there's no flowers. Okay, at some point, if he doesn't get like any pushback, even if even if he's defeated at the end, it's gonna feel cheap. You know what I mean? It's like the guy who will have been invulnerable the whole way through. He can't be unbeatable ninety nine percent of the time, and then at the last second, like, oh, I lost. He's gotta take an L. <laughs> because if he's just, oh, he's got his Achilles heels, and at the end he just dies. Ah, oh, no, no, you got my one week. He's gonna suck. You know, I mean, it's, it's gonna be like that in any case. It's gonna be the boy or something like that. It's gonna be a, a flow, but still. You got to show his limits a little bit in, before right. you just show him like uh, failing, basically. You know what I mean? Well, I, I like the idea that you outlined because it still creates tension in the fact that the island is still messed up. And they kind of feel like they have a little bit of leeway with like, okay, well, we understand he wants Casca and we know he's the boy or the boy's body his combined with his or something like that. So they have some understanding of what's going on. So that gives them some idea of like a plan of how they would want to move forward or give them an idea of what they should do next. Mm. Yeah. Because the island is also being destroyed, it gives Griffith a reason to with he could save a little face by leaving with, well, all right, I was going to take her, but you guys are all doomed here anyway. So let's go Zod. And then of course they get out of it. Yeah. Sharks with laser beams on their head. Mr. Bond. I'm just going to assume everything goes according to plan and yeah. <laughs> fly away. <laughs> See ya. Uh, the problem, and again, that's my preferred outcome. I don't know if it's going to be that way or not. I'm usually wrong on these things. I think she's gone. <laughs> if Griffith's plan did fail, why not try on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday? You know, like, why not just come back and try again? Yeah, I, I always foresaw some inherent problem between Guts, Griffith, and Casca and the boy yeah. would make it so that that's not an advantageous plan to begin with. I thought that something would happen that makes Griffith be like, okay, I'm not going to fuck with that, that kind of thing. Could it be that this is like the warning shot that, you know, like you were saying, and like Greg was saying, we, we know what his, okay, we know what he wants now and we got to prepare for him next time? Mm. <laughs> yeah, and also it could be, so what what could happen is, for example, if he has to drop her off, like she falls into the, the chasm, and like Guts has to choose what to do and he jumps in it after her. And it's assumed like Griffiths could assume, well, they're dead, whatever. And he lives. And so it's not even saving face. He's like, well, you know, whatever. Uh, and of course, Guts saves her. 
Yeah, and of course, God saves her and, and whatever. But And then he can't just go back himself because of the boy's feelings. It's like, if I go back, I'll be like, I'll, I'll have, you know, basically I'll be weak uh, just because of that. So it's, it's a, let's say it mitigates his personal involvement, but he can send his guys after them. And so while they're in Fantasia or whatever, uh, you know, making their way through the giant forest, they get Irvine sniping them, they get, uh, whatever grumbled. So, you know what I mean? And so that also creates an occasion for these guys to show up and to be adversaries. Uh, instead of, I don't know, just a final gigantic battle where it's uh, everybody against everybody. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just an idea. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Plus, not to mention, again, the other four members of the God Hand. I mean, at some point, it would be pretty cool if, like, Ubik fell on, onto the group and be like, oh, you guys are all fucked up in the head, right? <laughs> well, I got some plans for you. <laughs> you know, and, and then, like, and again, Fornese, who's learning, like, ma- mind-healing magic or special stuff. I mean, perfect occasion for her to to shine. Uh, Gus, who's got his trauma that's been going on for years and years. Perfect occasion for, like... Cask and Fornese to try to rescue Guts, go into his mind to try to fix the beast. You know, you can have Casca facing the beast in his mind. Oh, wow. I mean, cool stuff. You can kind of fix them both, potentially. And then, you know, like Kubik, is like, ah! and suddenly the beast turns and attacks him. I mean, tons of cool stuff you can imagine. But in order for that stuff to happen, you need to have a confrontation. And if it's just, oh, well, we're going to Falconia, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's the last topic. Griffith's plan was the last topic. I guess the other thing I wanted to mention was Casca in general. She really just is asleep the whole episode, mm-hmm. which is a bummer. Casca napping during the Casca napping. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh. My my whole pitch was that we always compared this to the Hill of Swords. It seemed like it was being set up to be another Hill of Swords kind of moment, right? All these characters, the same people, the same things happening here. But what's different is that Casca is now, her mind is awake and that she's all, you know, so really there was not, that variance did not actually come into play here. She may as well still be mentally unhinged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was not a factor, which is unfortunate to me. Right. That's a bummer. Yeah, I agree. It's also, again, like I say, if Griffith just takes her, takes her now, why, why is her past 20 volumes? Why not just take mm-hmm. her on the Hill of Swords? I mean... It's, you know, and uh, I mean, of course, a lot of things happened, but if you look at the core of the story. But just narratively, like. It puts the whole journey into less light. So I would hope there's more to it than that. And maybe last thing about the, the ooze is that uh, we did get a lot of foreshadowing about the gurus and stuff like that. But at the same time, Dana's reaction makes it seem like this is a big fucking deal. It's not something Ged will just be able to snap his fingers and, okay, it's fixed. Now they're wet when I make it rain on them. Yeah, so <laughs> not not sure. I mean, not sure exactly how it's going to play out. I've actually been thinking people people had a lot of thoughts about the, the time flow thing on the island and the fact it might be like there might be a time skip. Well, I notice we're making the time go faster and slower on either side, depending on what theory we want to run with. Yeah. <laughs> However we get Zod there safely. <laughs> yeah. It's not the thing, though. It's because when they get there, Isma's mom says, if you stay on the island for too long, you'll be like out of time. Like the time flow is different and you'll be like... Cut off from the outside world, meaning, you know, 100 years might pass 
at some point. But it's not like, oh, if you stay there longer than three weeks, then blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's more of a magical, mystical thing where at some point it just phases in and out. So it's not linear. And Danan explains that, for example, full moon at the outside world will last a few days in, on the island, that kind of stuff. My point is... It's not, uh, it's not like how gravity on the moon is different than gravity on Earth, like in a consistent way. It's, yeah, it's more mystical. Exactly. And what I wanted to say is maybe the whole point of that was that these characters who have been there for like a thousand years can actually come into the story. It's a way for them to be able to live without being like so old, they're dying like Flora. Uh, and at the same time, they can be like, well, the island's been destroyed. Now we are out in the world and we are very powerful. So we can be allies for like a final yeah. battle or whatever. So that could be a possibility. Honestly, not not what I prefer out of this scenario. I do think they could have played a role at the end in any case. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure like how that goes. But in it, well, it's just a possibility I wanted to mention. They're also needed in the world now. You know, they, they were cloistered because the world moved on. Yeah. Now the world has come back to that age of chaos that they mm. ostensibly learned their powers for and learned how to manage magical creatures. Now the world needs them to, to you know, manage magical creatures. So The thing I've been uh, thinking for a long time, as soon as we saw that basically there was a, a lot of kids there, is that we know there were many forests of spiritual trees around the world, magicians looking over them. It feels like all these kids who are learning magic, you know, epilogue of the series, bad guys are defeated, forest of spiritual trees are regrowing, each of these magicians is now entrusted with a, a young sapling and has to look over it, and, you know, and that's at the end, and you see uh, Shiruke and Isidro, who are together and having a, a kid. <laughs> yeah, the next generation is important, and we see a little bit of them here, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that would be, that's something that felt pretty, I wouldn't say obvious, but kind of flowing naturally from this situation where you've got these guys, the the gurus can play the role of the heavy hitters, you know, throwing fireballs or whatever at the walls of Falconia. It's a bit, I mean, I'm, I'm saying it cheesily on purpose, but, you know, as helper and the next generation can be like, yeah, what takes over and it's like end of the story. So mm -hmm. yeah, curious, yeah, curious how I would play in any case. It's not really related, but you mentioned the next generation of magic users and all. It's it's so curious to me as I was looking through volumes thirty seven to now recently. There's such a generational gap on the island. You see these young magic users, and you see the old ones. Not a lot of middle aged ones. They're really older. They're kids. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah, it's strange. And Shirke does not know her parentage. And I, to me, I kind of mentally link those things. Yeah, the fact that Shirke's origins are mysterious. And it's at least at a glance strange that there's no obvious parentage for the other magic users on the island. It's just a little something that sticks out. And I don't have a grand theory or something, but I think it would have eventually have been addressed. Could it be that they have been the caretakers of the other trees that were destroyed? The adults, but not old? Yeah, Which could be. Yeah, that generation might have gotten wiped out by caring after the trees, that kind of thing. Exactly. I also feel like, again, if you think that these guys have been on the island and they're from... A long time ago, maybe during the battle against the previous God Hand and their plan, yeah. all of these guys were wiped out. So the kids are left and the old guys are left. Right. That being said, we do see some more middle-aged uh, teachers, like they are just gurus. Of course, we know, we know there's a great gurus, the four old mm -hmm. guys, and there's a Volvaba who's also like an old crone. 
But we also see uh, a couple shots of like the normal teachers. But probably because it's boring, Mira didn't spend long on it. Yeah. Just regular gurus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. There's a regular gurus. There's a guys. Middle management gurus. Mixing the potions <laughs> that Puck is just, you know, like dropping random shit into. <laughs> it's that kind of stuff. They're just dead heads. They're not Jerry Garcia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess that's it. I thought, honestly, guys, given the chatter and the, the threads and the, and the chat, I thought we would probably be here for three hours, but here we are at two hours. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, it was I a 15 page episode and we still, I mean, and, yeah, and look true. at us yeah. uh, here talking berserk, just nerding out about it in the future. So, I know, know, right? <laughs> look at us. Honestly, I said at the start of the episode, I'll say it again. I didn't expect to be this enthusiastic or at least, at least enthusiastic about talking about berserk. After I saw 365, 366. And yet here I am, excited to see how it plays out. It, even with all the other nonsense that we spent an hour and a half We just had to get it out of our so. system. I mean, it'll be like every episode. Yeah. Well, also, I think we're at the, to me, the other end of the honeymoon period about adjusting to what this relationship's going to be like. Like, so this is who I'm married to. That kind of thing. <laughs> like, okay, so so he doesn't put the toilet seat down. Okay, okay, I just got to live with that. <laughs> So he farts when he eats chili. I mean, I don't even like chili. You know, it's fine. We don't have to eat chili anymore. Well, That's what these episodes have been like. Yeah, me. well, it's more of uh, my husband's beats me up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> then he says he loves me, so I stay with Psychological him. abuse, mm. you know, like, at yeah. the very least. You're a worthless oh piece of shit. <laughs> but here, here's a morsel of something good. That's true. The the ass the ass half of this episode is like the but he has his good moments too. Maury yeah. he, he winds up and throws a punch right at your face, but he stops it at the last second, and you can't tell <laughs> if it's because he can't move his fist anymore or uh, never mind. I just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the kind of games he plays with you. <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. Uh, if you have not checked out the Patreon yet, we're at patreon.com slash SKNet. We've had a lot of people join in the past month. Thank you so much for everybody. Azil and Puella do a ton of updates. I think Azil, he said you recently, there's like 150 new posts as of last week or two weeks ago, just in the past year. And mm -hmm. all of those are really interesting for anybody following Berserk. Uh, interviews, translation, uh, tidbits, rare merchandise, stuff you guys would love. Lots of good stuff in there. Yeah. Everyone here can speak to how awesome it is. And also, if you like this podcast, we do have many podcasts available. I think we're up to episode 17 now. Those mm. come out once a month. 18 soon. Those are fun, shorter, more focused, uh, more laid back, I would say. Even more laid back than this. Mm, could be. Sometimes alcohol gets involved, so... <laughs> The drunk cast. <laughs> the last thing I'll say is uh, the Patreon money goes towards Puella and her translation efforts. So mm. giving back to the community. It's like investing in the something you believe in. That's the idea here. So it goes to Puella and her ability to offer professional translations of Berserk and Berserk interviews. Some of those will be coming out soon. I believe the next thing she's going to do is the... Artwork of Berserk catalog. There's a new interview with Mira. Uh, the last interview with Mira, I should say is in that and we have not even gotten really a hint about what's in that yet i don't know that i've seen anything uh come out about that mm. but it's a big long one so look forward to that i think she's going to start that fairly soon yeah exciting yeah that's it thanks for joining us and we'll see you next month later see you later Bye.